0: I want to introduce you to the uh, speaker today. His name is Matt Sutton. Matt, come on up and I'll pray for you and and pray for our dads and uh, pray for us on Father's Day. Uh, Matt is uh, the campus pastor at the uh, Biltmore West campus uh, and a very good friend of mine. Um, And so um, I... uh, Gosh, we scheduled this actually a while back, and then I realized it was Father's Day. And I was like, is this cool? Is this cool? And it's cool. So um, so I'm very excited about him preaching. I'm very excited about the message that he has. It is a great passage in Nehemiah 5. I'm a little jealous that you got to preach it, but that's all right. Uh, I'm going to pray for him and pray for us. Jesus, thank you for Matt. Thank you for the friend that he is. Thank you for the way that you have made him. Uh, And God, I look forward to to hearing what you're going to say and speak through him. And and God, thank you for our dads, uh, those dads that that we know, those dads that are here, those dads um, uh, that aren't with us anymore. Um, Lord, thank you. And and, and meet all of us uh, today, Uh, today during this message, uh, today during this day, and may we feel your comfort, uh, your peace. Uh, May we feel your joy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Fred. Good to see everybody. Good to see you. Yeah, so like Fred said, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5 today, so you can go ahead and turn there. Not like that's a surprise. You guys have been going through Ezra and Nehemiah uh, chronologically or or, uh, chapter by chapter. It's been fun to follow along on uh, the podcast and and so I'm excited to be here today. Those watching online, thanks so much for, for tuning in. Hope you guys are having a great day and um, enjoying the, a little bit of the rainy Sunday morning. It makes it a little harder to get out of bed, right? Um, unless you have kids. <laughs> then you still get out of bed either way. Uh, so like, like Fred said, um, it's an honor to be here today. I've known Fred for a, a little over two years. I uh, reached out to him, and he's been, become a really good mentor and friend of mine, um, meeting pretty consistently, praying with me, helping me think through how to be a dad, how to be a pastor, and you guys are really blessed to have Fred as a pastor, and so thanks for uh, sharing him with me and letting me be here today. Fred, thanks for asking me. It's a great chapter, but you asked me to preach it, so this is kind of your fault that you're not getting to today. Um, so I just, uh, yeah, just to introduce myself a little more, I grew up in Spruce Pine, North Carolina. So if you don't know where that is, that's okay. It's, it's kind of between here and Boone, all the back roads. It sounds like it's like a town from like a Hallmark Christmas movie, you know, Spruce Pine. Um, but my wife and I grew up there. We started dating at 15, uh, got married in college, and have been in the area for a little for almost four years now. Uh, we're down in near Atlanta for a while, and, and if you've ever not lived here, you know, we got, it, we got back up here as quickly as we could, because once you live here, it's just hard to live anywhere else, and so we're... Um, so being here today, going through Nehemiah chapter 5, um, uh, is exciting. And so if you guys want to jump in, uh, we're going we're to get into it in just a minute. But I kind of want to, um, as before we, before we really get into it, um, just want to kind of reiterate some things that I've been hearing as we've been going through the sermon series. Um, some, some questions that Fred starts out with every week uh, that are really challenging, but really good. Um, the two questions that's been standing out to me the most is, is what is God stirring in you and what is God rebuilding in you and those have been really good questions because if we're honest uh, life itself is hard a lot Uh, coming out of the last year and a half has been really hard because it's it's caused a lot of forced goodbyes whether we were ready to say goodbye to something or not whether that was a job a loved one uh, even that family vacation last summer, having to say no to that and cancel those plans. Forced goodbyes are really hard. And so as we are forced to say no to some things, those questions that Fred has been asking and, and going through Ezra and Nehemiah has been really important, I think, to ask, what is God trying to do in you? The no's and the goodbyes that have, that have been said, what are those being replaced with? And so today, as we get into it, um, I want to just, just kind of give you a, a phrase that we're going to be talking about for the rest of the day and, and that it'll come up a lot and we're, we're going to see how it fits into this story but the phrase is spiritual forgetfulness. Spiritual forgetfulness. Because that's what we see in Nehemiah chapter 5 and before we jump into it I just want to share a, a story that I was thinking about as I was studying this week. Um, so I grew up playing soccer. I love soccer. Played my whole life um, all the way through my freshman year of college and after that um, I transferred to Bible College where they didn't have soccer. <laughs> they just had church league softball, and so I wasn't good at that, uh, and so I couldn't play that. Uh, but, but what I did do, I started coaching. I coached four or five years of middle school soccer, and then I got asked to coach at, at the high school level. And that sounds impressive until you know that um, the high school team that I got asked to coach had not won a game in seven years. So uh, if you've ever seen Kicking and Screaming, it was similar to that, that movie. Uh, the year before I was asked to coach, the team had only scored four goals the entire season. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> they basically asked me to coach because I had coached most of the kids on the team through middle school, and there was no one else to do it. <laughs> so, so that's why I got asked to do it. And um, so I, got, I came in, you know, it was the end of the school year before, you know, so soccer's in the fall in high school in North Carolina. So... So at the end of that school year, had like a team meeting, was talking to the Uprising seniors and trying to, you know, bring some excitement and some energy to it. And uh, and, and they were like, okay, you know, where do we go from here? Started summer workouts, gave everybody some workout programs, some plans to, you know, strength and conditioning and stuff. And a few weeks go by, and we're able to finally have our first summer workout. And so we have our first workout. We had almost enough people show up to have a team. There's 11 guys on the field, and we had nine guys show up. Big stuff, right? I mean, that's just a huge confidence booster. And so we go through the workout. It was a lot of fun, and I brought food for afterwards, um, you know, some dinner and, and hanging out, some, some drinks. And, and I'm kind of giving the, like, coach pep talk, you know, talking through, man, this season, you know, here's some goals for us. You know, I know we haven't won games in a long time, but, man, I believe in you. You know, I gave the whole, the whole spiel. And so we get done, I say, all right, so do you guys have any questions? And at this point, I'm thinking, like, they're in. Like, like we're going to have a great season. This is going to be a turnaround. And um, one of the guys, he was a rising senior. He raises his hand, and, and I was like, yeah, what's the question? And he goes, hey, so are um, just making sure, like, are practices still going to be optional this year? Because <laughs> I haven't been to a practice in, like, three years. I just show up to games. And, uh, and so I was like, all right, uh, raise the hands. How many of you... Uh, came to practice on a regular basis, and like two guys raised their hand. And they were the worst ones on the team, just if we're being honest. And so, um, so I knew at that moment, <clears throat> I knew at that moment, uh, we had two very different uh, goals in mind. You know, like, like their goal was just to kind of have fun and show up, and my goal was to win. Because like having fun's okay, but it's more fun if you win, Right. Is that an amen, anybody? I mean, like we're just being, yeah, thank you, all right, there we go. So, so we knew, and so really what had happened was when I came in, I had an idea of what it meant to be a player on that team, and they had a totally different idea. Uh, I had gone through seasons year after year where I had kind of built this thing in my mind and what I wanted them to be, but for years, they had experienced and been told that they were something totally different. And when we look at Nehemiah chapter 5, what had happened was the Israelites had been in captivity for so long, they had learned to start living like the other nations, and they had forgotten how to live the way God wanted them to live, the way that God had called them to live and told them to live. See, they were suffering from spiritual forgetfulness. And I think if we're honest, a lot of us suffer from spiritual forgetfulness on a regular basis. I know I do. It's so much easier to think about the way people tell me to live than to remember the way God has called me to live. And so, when, so jumping into Nehemiah chapter 5, I'm, I'm just going to read it. Um, I'm going to read the first 13 verses, and then we'll, we'll jump into some things. And as we're reading it, a few, a few questions to ask. Um, Dallas Willard, he's, he's an uh, author, theologian, philosopher. Uh, he wrote in his book, Renovation of the Heart, that everyone is being formed into something. Everyone is actively being formed into something. It's what you're being formed into that's the kicker. So just as we read these first 13 verses and as we talk through the passage today, I would just ask you to keep some some questions in mind. What are you being formed into? What vision do you have for your walk with Jesus? What's the goal that God is calling you towards, calling out of you, in order for you to experience a deeper faith with Him, it's so encouraging. Every like week, I turn on the podcast and keep up with the sermon series, and and Fred starts out, you know, saying, you know, hey, my, he just I love how he shoots straight <clears throat> right out of the right out of the gate. He says, hey, my goal for you is for you to fall into a deeper faith with Jesus, to trust Him more today than you did yesterday, and for tomorrow for you to trust Him more than you did today. And so, what is it that God is calling out of you and reminding? You of what he said, what is he stirring in you to break spiritual forgetfulness and call into a deeper relationship with him? Let me just read the first 13 verses and then we'll kind of go through verse by verse and talk about it. If you're in Nehemiah chapter five and you're ready, say, go. All four of us. This is gonna be a good day. Good. Chapter five, verse one. Now there arose a great outcry of the people. And of their wives against the Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it's not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. Verse 6, I was very angry when I heard their outcry against these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. I held a great assembly against them, and I said to them, We, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent, and they couldn't find a word to say. Verse 9, So I said, The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain, Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these things and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise, so may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. So as we look at the those first few verses, you can tell already there's a problem. This I mean this was nothing new to the Israelites. Throughout Ezra and Nehemiah, they had faced oppression, they had faced opposition, they had faced enemy neighboring nations uh, coming trying to stop the work. But this time it was a little bit different because the opposition was internal it was inside the walls this time where they were experiencing heartache where they were experiencing oppression and experiencing opposition and the three main issues that came up that you saw on the right there was there, there wasn't enough food for the families they were having to mortgage their fields and they were selling their children into slavery and so when it said they were exacting interest and talking about the mortgage, it's a little different. The word there, like when we think of interest nowadays, we think of like, oh, this is gonna make interest. Like it's gonna, like we'll give and it'll make something, it'll come back. But it was more of like a pledge. Like they were just losing that money. It wasn't coming back to them in any way. And so what happened was Nehemiah calls him out and he hears the cry. And it's a very bad cry because it says that their, their wives came with them. And that doesn't mean like, It's not like a like a gender stereotype where women are louder than men or anything. That's just saying like this is how big of a deal it was that even in the assembly, everyone was out crying. Like every person had something to say about this. So the problem was, like I said, it wasn't outside forces that they could stop. It was internal that they had to look. Nehemiah had to speak to the brothers and sisters, the friends, the neighbors, the family, and they didn't have an outside enemy to blame. They had to turn inward. And so I just kind of, with a thought with this, just to kind of get us going, when there isn't anyone else to blame, you're forced to look inward, that's when God is doing a work in you. Now here we see this is in the the context of a community, but for us as believers, for us as humans, we know that we would rather point the finger than look inside, right? It's a lot easier to blame other people for your problems like getting my three-year-old dressed this morning was brutal because everything was my fault. And I'm not perfect, right? Like I know I'm not perfect, but man, like it's so much easier for her to blame me, to, to blame baby sister, right? We have a nine-month-old, and so it's easier for, for our three-year-old to blame her than just to be honest about being, you know, hungry or hangry or angry or everything together combined. And, and so <clears throat> somebody I was thinking of, an example that I was thinking of, of, of the correct way to act in this um, is David. I mean, think about when David had every reason to hate Saul, to want to kill Saul. He found Saul asleep in a cave, and he cut off his robe, and then what did he do? Anybody know the story? He repented. He said, wait, who am I to lift my hand against the Lord's anointed? And he repented from that. See, David was someone who could look inward. He was a man after God's own heart. Um, does anybody play board games? board games. Okay. All right. This is this this I don't, this was a risk on if this illustration would land, but we'll see. Anybody heard of Settlers of Catan? Okay. All right, a few people. Or Catan, if you're saying it wrong. Okay. All right. It's Catan. All right. It's, it's like a like a pecan. All right. Anyways, that's all everything I'm from South Georgia, so all right, that's fun. It's a it's a toucan bird, not a toucan. It's not a pecan. Anyways, this is that's a different sermon. Sorry, Fred. Sorry, Fred. I'll, I will take a water. Thank you. Thanks. So um, <clears throat> when, you're playing, when you're playing Catan, there's different strategies. I won't get into it. Um, I won't nerd out too hard on this. But basically, you're trying to build little roads and villages and connect them all, and you get points and, and this whole thing. And so there's different strategies you can do. And I'm not very good, because like, when it comes to strategy games, Like I'm just there to have fun. You know? I will try to win because it's more fun to win. But ultimately, like I'm like, ah, whatever. I'd rather just like make jokes and make fun of people than, you know, like take this game super seriously. But there's always a point in the game where where somebody tries to to build like on the inside of the board. And you're trying to get to the outside because you can get extra points. And there comes to a point every time where I just have to stop and look. And I can get mad because I want to build a road, but I get blocked. And I want to get mad because I'm like, oh, this is your fault. And they're like, no, you're just this is bad strategy right? I want to blame other people, but I can't. I have to look inside and just, and just accept the fact that I was not good at this game. And so what happened is, Nehemiah, what we're reading in Nehemiah chapter 5, is that the Israelites are being forced to reckon with, looking more like the nations that had had them in captivity than the nation that God had called them to be. Because it's easy to unite around doing stuff. It's really easy for us to do things. It's harder for us to be. Like when it comes to working and doing things for God, it's easier to do for God than to be with God. And a lot of times we can get so blinded by spiritual activity that we forget about spiritual formation. And that's what the Israelites were suffering from here that we see. They they were suffering from spiritual forgetfulness. So ultimately the problem was with these three things was identity. The mortgaging of their fields, um, the selling their children into slavery, and not enough food for their families. If you think back to uh, Genesis chapter 12, like the grand central station of the Bible. All right, when God makes his promise to Abraham and he builds the nation, there, there were a few things God promised. Okay, he promised, he said, I will make you a father. Of, of a nation, and your children will be like the sand of the sea, okay, or the sand of, of the beach. I mean, it's going to be numerous stars in heaven. All right, so he promised that. He said, I'll bless those who you bless, and I'll curse those who you curse. He said, and I'm going to give you a land that is plentiful. So he's taken him into those three things, and so what were the three things that the Israelites were being forced to reckon with right now? They were being forced to reckon with the way they were treating their children and handling their offspring the land that they had been given that was theirs by God-given right, they were selling, and they didn't have enough food. The blessing, they didn't have enough food. The land that they were supposed to be on, there wasn't enough, and it was because of the way that they were treating each other. See, this is a huge identity issue for the Israelites. I mean, it would be like us coming in here today and saying, hey, we're Fellowship Asheville, um, but it would be like you coming in one Sunday morning and like there being no electricity or water or air conditioning, and the whole inside of the building's repainted, it'd be like, yeah, I know, like this is supposed to make sense, but it doesn't look the same and it doesn't feel the same. And it would be like if if, if someone got up or like if I walked up and said like, hey, I'm Pastor Fred, They're like no, you're not. <laughs> you know, I know Fred. I've got a relationship with him. He's my pastor. You're not my pastor. You can say what you want, but it was counter. It would be counterfeit. And with the Israelites. Are experiencing. They had spent so much time under the rule of foreign kings. They had forgotten what it meant to be the people of God. They were acting like the nations that had held them in captivity, instead of like the people God had called them and declared them to be. Uh, every time, it's like kind of this like, um, like blessing curse of when our kids go and stay with grandparents for a weekend. And if you're in here, grandparents, I mean no disrespect. But every time our kids go and stay the weekend with our grandparents, the next week is like a detox week. Because everything that we don't do at our house, she gets away with at their house. And my parents are great, all right? This is not like, this is not like I'm not like, like passive-aggressively sharing family drama here, okay? That's not what's happening. My parents are fantastic. We're going to the beach with my in-laws right after this. So it's so like, we're fine. Everything's fine. But what it is, <clears throat> what it is is like, okay, like, like, you know, we don't eat, you know, that much ice cream at our house uh, for a lot of reasons. But we just don't eat a lot of ice cream. We definitely don't eat ice cream on the couch. You know, like, it's at the table or it's on the porch. That's it. We don't watch a lot of TV, not a lot of movie at our, movies at our house um, for a lot of different reasons. But go to grandparents' house, there's, like, no rules, right? I mean, they can do whatever they want. And so they come back. It's like, but it's great because, like, they spend that time away. We have our time. We can, like, sleep in. I can, like, eat breakfast it's such a blessing but then we have to deal with the consequences when they come back and detox and it's like no 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 like like hey remember we don't do that here we don't do that i know you you did that at grammy and poppy's house you don't do that here you know no we don't we're not gonna eat ice cream again you know no more popsicles we're not you know we're not watching like barney doesn't live at our house i just tell her day one i was like hey i know barney you barney only lives at grammy and poppy's barney doesn't live at our house I'm so sorry. Um, I hate that for you. My hands are tied. I don't know. You know, And so, um, so they go to grandparents, and, and, and then they have to come back and detox. And they, like, forget what it's like to live in our house. And that's what's happening there. That's what's happening with the Israelites. Man, the, the ways that God called them to live, the covenant promises, the, the Torah, the law of Moses, they had forgotten all that. I and mean, when we saw it happening in the book of Daniel, if you're, if you're familiar with that, They go there, they they pick the youngest ones, they change their names, they give them clothes to wear, they tell them what to eat, they teach them their rules, and and take that over decades of time, generations, Israel comes back and they had forgotten. They had forgotten. And so when we forget the base identity, here's here's a takeaway for us as as we keep going through this. When we forget the base identity of who God says we are, and we listen to and believe outside sources, it always leaves us feeling defeated. Because look what they said in verse 5. They said, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it's not in our power to help it. See, because what happens when you give control of your identity over to anything else other than Jesus eventually this, the process keeps going and eventually you realize, I've got no more control over it. I mean, all of us have probably felt this in some form or fashion. You can't remember the last time you prayed and you sit down and it's like really hard to actually pray. Or you can't remember the last time you cracked open the word of God to read it and let it wash over you and renew your mind. And it's just like hard to just do it. Like, I, I mean, maybe that's just me, but I've experienced that before. Man, maybe for a lot of us, it's just like, showing up to church for the first time in a year and a half or 2 years. I mean, it's just hard to do. I mean, it's like you speed that up, you you get out of the routine, you get out of the way that you were called to be and it's hard to get back. And now, I mean, it's even harder. I mean, I mean, I mean, right now with social media, like we are in a culture of of image management. It's like we think we can't afford to be honest. And that, I mean, that's miserable. That's such a miserable way to live. But that's the way we're taught to live. I mean, that's the way we're taught to put our best image forward. And so I just want to remind us as we're going through this, as the people of God, who are we called to be? Man, all, all humans, all humans, were made in the image of God to dwell in the presence of God by faith in the Son of God and the power of the Spirit of God. Let me just say that again. We You, I, we were made in the image of God to dwell in the presence of God by faith in the Son of God, by the power of the Spirit of God. And so there were different areas that were showing up in the Israelites' life when they had forgotten their identity that God had given them and they were living by an identity told to them by outside forces. And so let me just ask you, what area of your life what area of your life can you think of that you're not living with that identity? I mean, for some of us, it's really hard because we're just, we're just really human, and <laughs> we're surrounded by other humans. I have to tell my daughter all the time, Cora, she's three years old. Cora, I messed up. I'm sorry. You were made to live in God's presence, but you got me. So like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm gonna do my best here, you know? I mean, and, and, that's, and that's sad, but it's true. But I just wanna ask, what... And maybe, maybe you're so afraid to be honest because you can't afford, you feel like you can't afford to be honest. Maybe image management, giving off this persona of who you want people to think you are as opposed to who God says you are. And maybe a way I think that that identity and spiritual forgetfulness shows up a lot is just being unable to forgive someone. If unforgiveness is ruling your life and your heart right now, man, let me just remind you, by faith in Jesus Christ, you were forgiven and were called to forgive other people. And maybe you just can't release control of situations or relationships and you forget that that person was made to dwell in God's presence, not in your presence. There are areas all the time where spiritual forgetfulness rears its ugly head and the lack of identity And a base of identity and who God says we are and who he calls us to be shows up. But the good news is, there's always good news with God. The good news is that God did not intend to leave us there. He didn't intend to leave us in slavery. He didn't intend to leave us far from him or from brokenness. God never forgets the ones he loves even when we suffer from forgetfulness. And so I've actually got the object to add to the thing. I forgot it in my seat. Thanks, Fred, once again. Once again, thank you. So my, my, grandparent, my grandpa built houses, and my dad worked, worked for him as a framing company. So does anybody know this? Is there different names for it? I'd love to hear the different names if you know it. I grew up calling it Speed Square. Speed Square? Okay, is that pretty? Okay, I've heard other names. At the hardware store and I got this, they were like, I hadn't heard of that in forever. I was like, what have you, been? that's the only thing I've ever heard it called. So I was just gonna see if there are any other names out there for it. But the speed square, I remember uh, just recently, um, uh, last year, me and my dad, we were, uh, my deck, was, we bought an older house, my deck was, had some holes and it, it was falling apart. And so my dad came over and he was helping me work on it. And, and he was explaining to me like there's like a pivot and you turn it and there's angles and, and, and all that. Mark, you could probably explain it better than I could, but um, you're nodding your head like, yep, I could. <laughs> I love that. I like, <clears throat> let's just call it. Let's just call it. Um, <clears throat> but there's different angles and everything. And I just remember my dad always saying, he was like, Matt, like this is so important because if we can get the studs right and if we can frame it right, then everything else is gonna take care of itself. You know, what's on the outside, you know, once you you know in a house when you're framing it, you gotta get and you know you're putting your roof up, you gotta get the angles just right. And once you get your angles right and you set it, the rest is gonna take care of itself. And so thinking about rebuilding, thinking about rebuilding and reminding ourselves, pulling ourselves out of spiritual forgetfulness. The identity is setting the angles right. It's framing our life correctly. Because if we have the right identity, if we can remember who God's called us to be and what he's doing in us, what he's stirring in us, what he's calling out of us, man, the, the promises that he's given us through his son, Jesus, who find all the promises of God find their yes in him. Man, if that's all set correctly, man, it doesn't matter what angles our lives take. It doesn't matter. As long as that's set correctly we can move forward we can build on that we can build on the identity that god's given us so the question is okay that's great matt um so so what happens if i if if i am suffering from spiritual forgetfulness? i think nehemiah gives us a great example of how to respond to it look at verses six and seven i was very angry when i heard their outcry in these words I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. You, and I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. So just looking at at 6 in the beginning of verse 7, Nehemiah, as he assesses the spiritual forgetfulness, uh, I love what he did. All right, so so he got angry. I don't love that part. But then he said that he took counsel with himself. So that's the idea of, like, he got upset. He recognized what was going on, and he just got alone with God. Man, isn't that just like so strange to us? Like in a, like a fix-it, do-it-right-now, immediate-result culture, doesn't like being quiet and patient just sound weird? Like doesn't that feel odd? I mean, I can't remember the last time I got totally alone and didn't speak until I heard God say something to me. You know? I mean, isn't that so neat? How, I mean, that's, I, I just, I don't know, that, that, that caught me off guard this week as I was studying, because the anger makes sense, right? The bringing charges makes sense. The getting people together and do. I mean, like the doing, the activity makes sense, but the taking counsel with himself, I mean, I mean really, what, what that really does mean is like, he got alone in a room, and he just prayed about it, and he thought about it and he waited on God. I was reminded of, of Psalm chapter 25 in that where David says, who is the man who fears the Lord? He is the one that God will show him the way that he should choose. And it says the, the secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. Man, spiritual um, quietness Call it, there's a lot of different words throughout the course of church history for this. Uh, silence and solitude, meditation, quietness. Uh, it's a spiritual discipline that we've lost in the American church. Um, and it's because we'd rather be doing something than be patiently waiting for God for something. And so let me, just, let me just give us some encouragement here. Uh, time spent in silence and prayerful submission is never time wasted. Man, I wish so badly coming out of, coming out of high school uh, that I had someone to teach me how to be still and wait for the Lord, how to quiet my soul for him and listen to Him. Because I think if nothing else, I, I ended up going my freshman year to play soccer, and I know I'm supposed to, I know I was supposed to go to Bible college and prepare for ministry, and I ended up breaking my ankle. And I'm not saying that that was like God's wrath on <laughs> me for doing that. I'm just saying if I'd have been at Bible college, there's way less strenuous activity where you can break an ankle, all right? So, I don't know if it was God's direct hand doing that, but I think I probably would have avoided that. I mean, middle schoolers, high schoolers, man, right now, like, you guys were made to live in God's presence. You were made to be there. Don't miss out on opportunities. Start now, building that time, learning how to take counsel with the Lord, just to be still and wait for him. Because, man, there's a lot of times where if we would take time doing what Nehemiah did— and assess situations before we acted, we'd probably save a lot of heartache. Um, our youngest daughter, my wife's walking around here somewhere uh, with our with our youngest one uh, taking a nap. And Abigail, for like the first seven months of her life, she didn't really scream or or uh, cry; she just shrieked. <laughs> you know, uh, we called her our songbird uh, because that was us trying to make the best of a situation, because uh, she would just at the top of her lungs just shriek, and so eventually. We learned when she'd shriek, we'd kind of pause and we'd wait. And we'd say, okay, that's hungry shriek. Well, let's feed her. You know, or like, that's sleepy shriek. And we'd feed her real quick. You know, I mean, like there were different kind of shrieks going on. And, and it wasn't just a cry. And so um, once we learned to stop, to listen, and to assess the situation well, then we could act appropriately instead of just like, like, getting her and doing the, like, thing where you just walk around. You know, like, the bounce, like, never works. It never works for me. We're on our second kid, and, and when they're crying or shrieking. You know what I'm talking about? Just the bounce, you know, you're walking around. Anybody with the baby trying to get them to stop crying? Never works. But, if I, but when we stopped, I just listened. I was like, okay, no, it's this time. Okay, she needs to take a nap or whatever. That was what always helped. And so, for us, when we have the spiritual forgetfulness, when we have the time where we've forgotten our identity, what God's calling us to do or calling out of us or trying to remind us of, I mean, just encourage you to take time to just be with God. Just be with God. I mean, literally, get alone in a room, set a timer, leave all distractions out of the room, and don't get up until that timer's done. Just try it. If you haven't done that recently, like, Set a timer for three minutes, and it'll feel like an hour. Because we're so not accustomed to just waiting and being quiet. We're used to just constant seeing, scrolling, you know, listening, watching. I mean, it's, it's like we're addicted. But God's calling us into a close with him. And so once Nehemiah got a handle on what the problem was, we see how he addressed the risk of forgetting God-given identity. The end of verse 7 and end of verse 8 <clears throat> He held a great assembly, and he said this against them. We, as far as we are able, have, brought, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent, and they could not find a word to say. I love how he just shoots straight so this shoots straight in the situation. He doesn't hide the fact that they're acting like those other nations that they've been in captivity. They were taking people into slavery for their own financial benefit look at verse 9 he said so I said to them the thing that you're doing is not good ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations and our enemies and this is really the pivotal point the turning point for understanding how we can apply this to our lives man ought you not to walk in the fear of God I mean the fear of God is just understanding who he is and who we are not See, that when the people of God who have experienced and understand the grace and love that God proves through his power, when we exercise unjust power over others, man, it's even more heinous because it's not only putting ourselves in God's place, but they're placing God. We place God in a place of contempt. And so we exercise unjust power all the time in many different ways, it's called sin, it's called oppression, it's called uh, injustice, it's called wickedness, unrighteousness. All kinds of different things throughout the scriptures. But I want to show something that's interesting. In verses 10 and 11, Nehemiah includes himself in the charges. Like he said, moreover, I and my brothers and my servants were lending them money and grain. Like I said, the lending there really, it's a, it's a hard translation from the Hebrew He said, let us abandon this exercise of interest, or really it's like this taking of of their pledge. They're they're asking them basically to pledge their allegiance for protection by taking from them. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you've been exacting from them. See, to return the, the things taken to them, it's a reminder that they're not God. They're reminding themselves by giving back that I'm not God. I don't own this to begin with, much less if I take it from other people unjustly. For New Testament comparisons, you say, Matt, this is kind of Old Testament stuff. doesn't make sense to me. Look at Zacchaeus, or look at Paul in 1 Corinthians where he talks about lawsuits against other believers. See, because when it talks about you, ought we not to fear the Lord, and it's the beginning. Here's the thing. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And humility is the outplaying of it. I love Fred's definition he uses a lot where he says, humility is recognizing where you stop and God starts. I love that. Fear of the Lord, Proverbs says, is the beginning of wisdom. Humility is the outplaying of that fear of the Lord, recognizing who God is and who you are not. So when Nehemiah addresses the issue of identity, it's also an issue of unity. Because when we forget that we are the people of God, we start acting like you are, they are people and you are God. The lack of vision in our spiritual life causes us to feel distant from the other people of God. See, we're called to be a body, a family, a chosen nation of priests. And these all require unity around the vision that God has for us both individually and collectively. Um, that's that's why really coming out of this season of uh, COVID and the pandemic, why rebuilding is so important to talk about and get honest about and answer those questions. What's God stirring in you and what's God rebuilding in you is so important. And then to to get to close here in verse thirteen, let me just remind, let me just uh, say a few things about um, him shaking the fold of his garment. He said, I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they were promised. See, Nehemiah, I mean, the beginning of the chapter kind of starts with um, almost calling out a forgetfulness of the, the covenant God had made with Abraham with those three areas, And so when he talked about shaking out the robe, and he says, may the Lord do so to you and more, brings us back to Genesis chapter 15, where God is talking to people who have done wrong to his people. So this would have evoked really strong memories and vivid images that they would have used, even uh, Jeremiah used this, and Isaiah used the same imagery of shaking their garments out. So Nehemiah really takes a prophetic voice here, And it's calling Israel to repent. Because when we forget the spiritual forgetfulness, when we forget our identity, who God has called us to be, and how he's called us to live, when we forget that, we really ultimately could lose everything. Because if you're not experiencing a deep, abiding, life-giving, intimate relationship with Jesus... And what good is it? If we were made to live in the presence of God, but we can't remember the last time we entered the presence of God, what's the point? If uh, if our identity is based, found, rooted in everything else, the angles are all going to be messed up. The foundation's not going to be there. Because even though we can all kind of band together and we can do things, we can do things for God, we're going to forget what it's like to be with God. And man, when we forget to be with God, man, what's the point? I mean, why do this? If God's presence isn't the end goal, if his goodness is not the thing that drives us, then what's the point? And so to close today, <clears throat> I just want to kind of give us a practical thing that we can take. If you're thinking, man, I, I challenge you earlier to ask, what's the vision for your life with Jesus? Man, what is that? Um, man, a great A great helpful thing, I mentioned that book earlier, The Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. He gives a really helpful acrostic uh, that's been helpful for me thinking about my my own spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines. And it's V-I-M. It's vision, intentions, and means. And so for yourself, you you, you literally set a vision for what you want your journey with Jesus to be. So for me, it's in Galatians where he said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Man, what an incredible statement. Like, I would love to be able to say that. I would, like, in, like every second of the day, every action I take, every whatever, that I would love for that to be it. So, so just, I'm just asking you, maybe this week, take some time, literally write out your vision for your walk with Jesus. And then the intentions are, intentions are what's it going to take to make that happen. So, man, maybe it's just like starting to wake up a little earlier and pray. Maybe it's watching less TV, going to bed earlier. I mean, there are literal, actual things you can do to help make that happen. And then the means are, what does it take? What has God given you to help you get there? Man, for Nehemiah and the Israelites, their vision, they had it. It was the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses, the covenant with David. I mean, they knew what that took. I the intentions, you can go through there and look. Nehemiah said, Hey, we gotta stop. To give everything back. We have to stop doing that. Ought we not to fear the Lord? I mean, that that's the intentions, and the means were literally taking what they had they had uh, stolen from the people. They had unjustly gained from them and taking it back and given it to them. That was the vision, intentions, and means. And so just, just for your life personally. Man, maybe you thought, like, man, following Jesus, you know, spiritual disciplines, my quiet time, whatever you call it, my God time. Man, maybe, maybe. It seems so aimless because you've never had a goal. You've never set a vision. You've never actually created what a lot of times throughout church history they've called a rule of life. You say, hey, I'm going to, on this day, at this time, every day, I'm going to pray. At this time, on this day, every week, I'm going to fast. Whatever that looks like, spell it out. And then I just want to remind us, too, man, Nehemiah gives us a great example of what it looks like to step into the place and identify with the sin of his brothers and sisters. Because man, there was one ultimately that was gonna come, who would do the same thing. The difference is that Nehemiah, he had actually sinned. And he had come, and he had done wrong, and he had to change some things too. The one that would come after, that we now know, he came and identified with sin, and he had never sinned. Man, we knew Jesus came to rebuild for the people of God, but he came to change everything. Where Nehemiah came and he called people to do what they had done wrong, Jesus came and he said, not only have I not done anything wrong, but I'm going to take the penalty for what you had done wrong on me on the cross. Where Nehemiah had called them to change the way that they live to do right, Jesus said, no, I'm going to to raise from the dead and create new life and make it possible for you. And so if today we're talking about God stirring in you, God rebuilding, if today's the day to start building, on the rock that's Jesus. The only way to do that is through faith. That statement, we said that we were made to dwell in the presence of God by faith in the Son of God, through the power of the Spirit of God. Man, right now, you can place your faith in Jesus, knowing that he came, lived a sinless life, died for us, rose from the grave, making new life possible. Paul said, if we have been saved by his, if we have been justified by his death, how much more will we be saved by his life? Start building on the life and person of Jesus right now. And and so as we set and we continue through setting our vision for our spiritual life, man, we have the intentions, we have the means, put it in place, keep rebuilding. And I just want to say thanks again for letting me come, share the day with you, fellowship. Uh, Thanks, Fred, for letting me be here. Let me pray for us, and then we'll continue in worship. God, thanks for how good you are. Father, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. God, that while we were still sinners, while we were still far from you, you came and brought heaven to us. And Father, that, that um, as we go through life, those of us who have placed our faith in you through Jesus, Lord, while we forget who we are all the time, God, you don't forget. Father, while we are faithless, you are faithful. And God, while we still find ourselves far from you, God, you're calling us back. So Lord, I pray that you forgive us when we find ourselves in times of spiritual forgetfulness. And Lord, thank you so much that you always welcome us home as a good Father who always loves and never does us wrong. Father, we love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.